All right, take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6. And Lord willing, we're going to try to get as far along as we can in this, and we're going to look at several, several passages. We're in a series of thoughts called The Jesus Way to Pray, and Jesus teaches a lot about prayer. And, and understand that Jesus has come from heaven to earth to impart heaven's wisdom to us. In fact, he, he makes it very plain about that. Uh, he, he's bringing the kingdom near to us. In fact, his main message he preaches everywhere he goes is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is what? What does he say? Yeah. It's at hand. It's near. It's right here with us, okay? So Jesus is teaching us. So when we hear Jesus talking, we hear the king of the kingdom talking to us. So listen, because he's, he's telling us about a world that we're not so aware of, the kingdom of God. And he's pulling us. We talked about this. He's pulling us out of this other kingdom. In fact, when we're born again, the scripture says that we're translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son or the kingdom of light. We're brought into that kingdom. Uh, but, but even though we're in that kingdom, oftentimes our mind and the way we think and the way we view life and God and things like that is still influenced by the other. We know that struggle. We use that analogy that it's God got them out of Egypt real quick, but he couldn't get Egypt out of them for a long time. So that, that happens. And all that renewing of our mind has to happen. So Jesus is, is doing that. He's pulling us and pulling our thoughts out of that other kingdom, out of the world's way of doing things. And he's teaching us how to live in his kingdom. All right, so we, we've talked about praying in secret. Okay, Jesus talked about when you pray, you go in and you shut your door. And you pray in secret. And your father who hears in secret will reward you openly. So it's important that we develop that kind of intimacy. That it, but, but if the door is going to be shut, who's going to shut it? You're going to have to. You're going to have to push out all the distractions, get yourself alone with God. And Jesus says the best way for you and I to pray, hey, there's a place for corporate prayer and us praying together and all that, and that's wonderful. But, but the real deal is done in the secret place. Oh, oh, Grandma used to talk about getting in the closet and praying. You all saw that movie War Room where she literally had... She, she had a little war room, a little closet where she went in there. You know, that, That's always a good thing to have. Everybody needs a place like that. To me, it seems like Jesus' place was Gethsemane. He had a place that he went and closed himself in with his father. All right. Now we talked, then, then we did an overview of the prayer. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that more later. All right. So uh, let's talk today about our father's name. Let's talk about our father's name. Let's start in verse number nine of Matthew 6. And you know this probably by heart. Jesus says, in this manner... Or in this way, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one or from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So Jesus really takes his teachings, and compiles them into this little short prayer and says, I want this to shape the way you relate to God. Okay. Now, this daily prayer is about us focusing our heart, soul, and mind into the two things that Jesus calls the greatest commandments. What were the two greatest commandments? Remember Jesus said it? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and your strength, right? All your might. And the second commandment is just as important. It's like it, too. It's related. What is it? You shall love your neighbor as yourself or love your neighbor the way you'd want to be loved. Okay? 
So Jesus is taking us into this idea of what it really means to love God. You ever, you ever spent much time on that to think, what does it mean for me to love God? Well, it's, a, it's, it's, it's the greatest, one of the greatest points of your life to find your purpose and meaning and, what, and who you are is to learn to love God. And Jesus said he wants to teach us how to love others as well. So this prayer takes us into that idea of loving God. All right, now, now, when we get into this prayer and just start unpacking it, we're just going to get in that one little phrase to, today, our Father who art in heaven. But as we unpack this, just know that this is not like a magic formula. Okay, we're not, we're not building things like magic words, and if you say these magic words, everything happens just perfect. It's not like that, is it? These are words that, that shape us and help our vocabulary and help our understanding and really shape our mind about who God is and about how we relate to Him. So no magic words, right? That's, that's praying like the pagans pray. That's what Jesus said early on, to guard against. It's not about how much you say or how long you say it or how, how uh, uh, demonstrative you say it. I'll use some examples. When I was in old church uh, growing up, you know, and, uh, we'd joke about some, some brothers in the church that could pray the paint off the walls. And, uh, you know, they, I know God's not hard of hearing, but they may have thought he was. <laughs> they wanted to make sure that he heard them. So uh, I don't have any problem with that, but I, you just don't have, to, you don't have to work it up. Hey, Jesus has paved the way. Amen. Now, you need to put your heart and soul into it. I don't want to take that away from it. And, and the effective, fervent prayer, you need that fervency, all right? But you know Jesus has done the hard work. He's made the way for us, all right? So guard against that idea. All right, so the first words that Jesus talks to us about in this prayer is our Father in heaven. Everybody say that with me. Our Father in heaven. And you, you may have the old King James, our Father who art in heaven. Same idea, all right? Father. So we are to see God as our Father, amen? Now, that's, that's almost like... Some of the Old Testament shows us some of that. But when Jesus comes, he brings such attention to that idea that God is not just the Almighty who sits on the throne as the judge of the universe and the creator of all things, that he literally is your father. So that's like a relationship word, isn't it? And if he's the father, guess what he's building? He's building a family. That's what fathers do, aren't they? They, they, they raise up sons and daughters. So if he is my father, instantly when I come into prayer, it puts me in the position of being a son or a daughter, right? So that's, that's important. So I come to him not as a servant coming to a master. When I go to God, I go to him as a son coming to my father. I always use the example of Lily when, when she was young. Uh, she had immediate access to me anytime, all the time. You know, this is days before cell phones and all that kind of thing. Uh, but she had access to me. In fact, I, I made it a point because I wanted to teach her this principle that, you know, Father is, is listening. That if she needed my attention, she just had to come. And she didn't have to knock on the door. She just came. And I wanted to teach her what it is to come boldly into Daddy's presence. That's what Hebrews writer tells us, right? Come boldly before the throne of grace. So Lily always had 100% access to me at all times if she needed me. Now, she learned to temper that and knew that it wasn't just little trivial stuff. But I wanted her to have that idea that she has full access to me because, you know, we all struggle with that because some of our parents are not like that and we get trained in what fatherhood is all about and sometimes it's trained the wrong way. But this, this idea of us being sons and daughters of, of God. So he is building a kingdom, but this kingdom is a family. You think about that. In fact, there's a lot of family language about church, isn't it? In fact, we call each other what? Sometimes brother, brother Paul or sister Pat. 
I mean, that's, that's actually biblical to do that kind of thing. And he's building the household of faith is what we're called. We are called the family, the family of God. All right? So, so that, that, that changes the way we look at each other. We treat each other. Should, anyway. All right? All right, now, now uh, I need somebody to go look up. Somebody look, look up at Romans 8, 14 through 17 for me. Anybody want to read that for me? Anybody? One of my good readers. Miss Carol, you want to go to Romans 8, 14 through 17? So that makes us sons and daughters, and it postures us, no matter what your age is, it postures us in, in the position of a child. A child is a real honored position in the kingdom. God likes childlike faith, doesn't it? You heard him say something about that? Jesus said that God honors like faith like a child. Okay, not childish, but childlike. You know, child just when you say something that you're going to do something, what does a child expect? They just, they just believe you. They expect you to do it, right? So when I say he's father, that puts me in the position of being childlike, and God likes that kind of faith. All right, so now read that Romans 8, 14 through 17. This has the idea of father in it, okay? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. Okay, so the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, literally, not just into our house, but the Scripture teaches He comes into our very being. He, 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 he makes His home in us, right? Now, one of His heart, heart cries in us is that He wants us to understand that God is our Father. So the Spirit comes in us, and it begins to stir inside of us this idea, and it makes us cry, Abba, Father. That Abba is, is kind of, it's an intimate Hebrew term. It's just not translated in that. Abba is, is an intimate term for father. It'd be almost, it, it's akin, it's not exactly like it, but it's akin to the idea of your child calling you daddy or something like that. You know, instead of father, we use the term dad or daddy. Okay. So the spirit is yearning inside of us and churning inside of us, trying to get us to understand the idea and the understanding that you are adopted into the family and the Spirit causes you to cry out, Abba, Father, to see God as Father. And if He is my Father and I'm His child, then that scripture was teaching us that we are heirs of God. Now, I don't know if you know what it's like to be an heir of a fortune. Probably not in this room, but some people have, have that, 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 uh, that idea. But you are in the will of the Father. And he is leaving some of that to you. And, and we're so much heirs that we're also joint heirs with Christ. I don't have time to talk about all that, but joint heirs with Christ means whatever Jesus gets, we get. That's crazy, isn't it? Princes and princes. <laughs> kings, kings and queens. Princes oh, and princes. Well, no, it's same, same idea. Same idea. We're royalty. <laughs> yeah. All right, so now, all right. I think that's enough on, on the word father, but just get, keep that idea. God is your father when you address him. All right, so now Jesus says he's not just Father, he's our Father. Now again, who, who's speaking this to us? Who's saying these words? Jesus. Jesus is saying. So he says he's our Father. So Jesus and I have the same Father. We're in the same family. In fact, another place talks about it, how he's our elder brother, who's made the way. And don't have time to talk about that, but in the Hebrew culture, the elder brother is, is the one who governs 
all the affairs of the family, basically. And we're, we're joined with him. And he says he's our father. We've we got the same father. I think it also applies to the idea of our father like us, the, the people in the family. He, we, we all belong to the same father. He's our father. So, so it's not just my father, so I can't just be selfish as if I'm the only kid. Anybody know anybody with only child syndrome? <laughs> well, you got to get over it in this kingdom because he's got a bunch of kids. And they're all shapes and sizes and all different kinds of colors, speak all kinds of different languages, all different kinds of personalities. Some of them have multiple personalities. How about that? <laughs> they just make it all fun for all of us, don't they? <laughs> so, so he's our father. Ours in terms of all of us in the family. Now, somebody asked me this question a while back about addressing the father in prayer. Can you address Jesus or the spirit in prayer? You know, Jesus tells us directly to address the Father, but can you address Jesus or the Spirit in prayer? Sure. Sure, that's not a problem. There is, the Father, Son, and Spirit are not like us. If you put three of us in a room, we're oftentimes to be competitive and, and, and trying to get heard and said. Uh, the, the Trinity's not like that. There, there's no jealousy among them. If you talk to Jesus, the Father loves it. If you talk to the Spirit, Jesus loves it. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to confuse anybody, but some people do have that kind of question. All right. All right. So the first words are our Father in heaven. Okay? In heaven. So now what does that mean, idea? Our Father in heaven. Now, when, when Jesus is talking about heaven, don't just think up there. He's not talking about geography. He's talking about another kingdom, another dimension. And Jesus teaches us, again, that he brought the kingdom of heaven here and near. Okay? So don't just think up there. The kingdom is near us. It's here. Okay? It's, it's with us. Jesus taught us that heaven is now near us. In fact, he says that. He says, I want you to change the way you think about God. That's the word repent. I want, I want you to understand, I come to revolutionize everything you think about God. And in order for you to follow me, you're going to have to rework all of what you think you know and repent because now there's a whole new thing happening. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and I'm bringing it to you. And all your options have changed. Everything changes. All the dynamics have changed. Heaven is here, not just there. Okay? And Jesus is understanding of it all, what he's teaching us. Heaven is the atmosphere we live in as sons and daughters of the Father. Amen. Now, when you die, are you going to die and go to heaven? I hope so. That, there's that idea, too. But where is heaven? Is heaven a planet? Is it another dimension? I don't know. It's really, it's really bizarre to think about, actually. There's no sin there. There's a whole lot of good stuff there. <laughs> There's no sin. There's, there's, uh, there's all kinds of wonderful things. But, but it's, it's like it's a dimension. It's a spirit dimension. You know what I'm talking about? You, no, you don't. But anyway. <laughs> but we're trying to grow in this. We're trying to understand it because Jesus had to come. So he had to put language with things. And he said, well, the kingdom of heaven is, is kind of like a man who would go and throw a big net in the sea and pull it all up. And he'd get good fish and bad fish. And he'd take some in and keep it. Others he'd throw away. I mean, he had to put it in such simple terms because it's, it's something we have a hard time understanding. All right. So in heaven. Now, it, it's, it's also talking about our father who is in heaven. It, it means that he is above in power and authority. He's above everything of the earth. 
above heaven. Like, like the heavens, my, my thoughts are above your thoughts, like the heavens are high above the earth, right? So it's the idea that the Father you're talking to is above all things. He's above all things in power. He's above all things in authority. Well, now think about that. You're addressing God, who is your Father, who is in charge. That's who you're talking to. When you talk about your sore knee, your hurt back, your nephew, your father-in-law, you know, you're praying for your children. That's who you're talking to. Our Father in heaven. Abba, Father in heaven, above, powerful, and present. So now listen, one of these, one points to intimacy, and the other helps us maintain reverence, awe, and honor. You see that? See, our Father draws us in close, doesn't it? It means God's approachable. It means God wants to talk to you. He, He probably wants to talk to you more than you want to talk to Him, actually. That's His heart. So one draws us into intimacy. This in heaven part shows us where our reverence lays. We, we, we know who we're dealing with. We're starting to understand that, that he's, he's God. All right. I'll just take a message. I'll get with him later. All right. <laughs> you, you never know. <laughs> All right, so now Jesus is teaching us, again, how to love God and how to honor God. All right, so now the first part of the prayer deals with three aspects. We're, we're only going to deal with one of them today, but, but see how they're together. To love God is to honor His name. To love God is to hope that His kingdom comes. To love God is to see that His will is done, both by me and those that I'm in charge of around me. Okay? So Father, His name, His kingdom, and His will. Jesus is teaching us through this little prayer. That's very powerful and it's loaded with theology. Teaching us how to love God. All right, so now let's get into some scriptures here. As we begin to unpack this idea. The first request of the prayer is this. Hallowed be your name. That helps you out a whole lot, doesn't it? What in the world does that mean? Hallowed be your name. The closest way we use that word hallowed is in Halloween. What does hallowed mean? You know, what in the world does that idea mean? Praise. Praise. Let's unpack it right here. It means holy. Set apart. Sacred. It's unique. There's nothing like it. In fact, God is so keyed into this idea that there's nothing like him that he said, I don't want you making any kind of idol, no figurines, nothing. I don't want you to draw any pictures of anything that looks like a, a creature or anything in creation or anything above the heavens or under the earth. Don't make anything of an idol type situation because I'm not like any of that stuff. See, that's all creature stuff. He's the creator. You see, so he's, he's, he's really trying to get us to understand that he, he's so different than anything you can imagine. Okay? Anything you have a reference point for. All right, hallowed. The idea for hallowed is to be treasured, to be cherished, and to be loved. That's, that's really the underlying idea. So when we're praying this, Lord, may your name be hallowed, or hallowed be your name, we're, we're saying, Lord, we want your name cherished. We want your name treasured in the earth. We want people to love your name. We want people to love you. That, that's the idea. Okay, so that's the first request of the believer. Now think about that. What does it mean to cherish God's name? What would that mean for us? Not to use it in vain. Not to use it in vain. How do people usually treat the name of God? I mean, in general. 
Not necessarily in church worship services. Give profanity or a joke or, or worse, don't think of them at all. You know? Yeah. Now, in the, in the scriptures, name, oftentimes, especially concerning God, name equals character or nature or personality. Okay? So it's telling us how he is. Okay? So when it says that, that um, you know, I mean, I don't even have time to get into all of them. I mean, there's so many different, there's hundreds of names of God in the scriptures. Okay? And each one of them show us an aspect of his character, of his nature of his personality, of how he relates to us and how he really is, okay? So now we're, we're, we're saying, Lord, we want your name to be treasured, cherished, and loved. Now the idea is this, that we are praying. This is the first prayer point that Jesus teaches us now. I pray that people see what you are really like and it causes them to honor and cherish and love you. That'd be a good prayer for me to pray over Ron, you know what I'm saying? So it starts with us. With me. But the prayer also extends, Lord, I, I want people to know who you really are. They can cherish you and love you. Because in, it's in the best interest of humanity to know God. And there's so many lies out there about God. So many misunderstandings. Hey, we got them in our head right now. So much that's not congruent with his word. So much is taught to us by religion or tradition. Some of that can be great. Some of it's not so great. Some of the things we just pick up along the way. You know, we pick up ideas like, like your, your pants pick up dog hair off the couch. You know what I'm saying? And we just carry them around with us and they just become part of our life and it's not necessarily good things, you know? Hmm. So there's so many lies out there and, and, and what, what this prayer is saying, Lord, we, we want to know the truth about you. That's a great position for you to put your heart in. Lord, I want to know the truth about who you really are. Reveal yourself to me. Ask him that. Show me who you are. In fact, one, one of the great prayers of Moses was, Lord, show me your glory. Remember that? And God hit him in the rock and passed by. and whew, That was a moment, I'm sure. Pretty crazy moment. Show me your glory is what Moses said. That would be a good, good prayer to start. Okay. All right. Now, let's, let's look at a couple scriptures. Can I get some folks to help me read here? Anybody want to read Psalm 8-1? Miss Pat, you want to read Psalm 8-1? Psalm 29, 1 and 2, anybody? Miss Janice? Psalm 29, 1 and 2, and then one more, 96, 1 through 9. Anybody? BB, you want to read Psalm 96, 1 through 9? These are just samplings. I wrote down a few of the scriptures here in the Psalms, but, but you'll see how the, the, the foundations of faith in the Old Testament or the First Testament are really consumed with us knowing, understanding, and honoring the name of God. So Jesus is not really teaching us something new. He's pulling out something old and saying, I want you to make this part of your life. Okay? And remember, the Psalms now are the prayer book of Israel, right? It's the prayer book and the song book of Israel. It was the prayer book and song book of Jesus. Okay? Jesus knew the Psalms backwards and forwards. Who's got Psalm 8-1? Read that. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Okay, so he's praying that, oh Lord, oh Lord, how excellent is your what? Your name in all of the earth. Y'all remember that old song? We sing an old song way back in the 80s. Oh, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Remember that one? 
that came out of Psalm 8, right? Who's got Psalm 29, 1 and 2? Who's got that one? Janice? Give it to the Lord, O ye mighty. Give it to the Lord glory and strength. Give it to the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. All right, so give, hear the word name in there? Give it to the Lord the glory due his name. That, that's along the same ideas of hallowed be your name. You see what I'm talking about? That's what I'm just pulling this, this foundation from, from the Psalms. 96, 1 through 9. Who's got that? B.B.? Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majestic are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give to the Lord, <clears throat> O families of the people. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory be his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. All right. Make me want to say hallelujah. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Amen. But do you hear the same idea? I mean, that, that's hallowing the name. Do you hear what he was talking about? That's hallowing the name that Jesus is talking about right here. All right? There's a whole bunch of other ones. Now, Angel, you just said something a second ago. Do you remember one of the Ten Commandments concerning the name of God? You remember that? What was, what was one of the Ten Commandments concerning the name? Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, right? Okay. Now, in our culture, that's the idea of what we've kind of talked about profanity, which that's not a good thing at all. And that would certainly be underneath that category. But really, to take the name of the Lord in vain is to take the name of the Lord and call, well, what we'd consider call yourself a Christian and then not act like one. That's taking God's name in vain. You're taking his name. It'd be just as bad as a spouse who uh, carries the name of somebody else, but they can't stay home at night. You know what I'm talking about? And they, they're going stray. That's, they, they, they've taken that person's name in vain. You see what I'm talking about? And we probably all violated that commandment in one time or another where we didn't profess or walk out the faith that we said we had. So this is a very serious issue with us. In fact, Israel took that command, the rabbinic tradition took that command so serious that they won't even allow... Jewish traditional Jewish people to speak the name of God, which is the Yahweh Vaveh name, Yahweh. They won't even speak it. In fact, if you, have you ever seen a writing from, from a, maybe a Hebrew person writing in English, and when they write the word God, they put G dash D? You ever seen anybody do that? They do that. that that's out of the reverence for the name. I'll tell you how I've, I brought it into my, my thinking. If you see, anytime I, I write or type out the, the word Lord, I type it out in all caps, L-O-R-D. That, that's, that's, that's one of my, I mean, that's a real simple, simplistic way to honor the name. He wants much more out of us than that. But when I type that or write that, I always want to, wait a minute now. This is not, not something to be trifled with. You see what I'm talking about? Just stop. I just pause for a minute and make it different because it is to be different. All right? Now, now let's, let's look at a contrast. So hallowed be thy name is the prayer, right? May your name be honored, cherished, loved. And may people know you and love you. Now, go to Genesis 11. I'm going to have the words on the screen here as well. The idea of the Tower of Babel. 
Now, this is in contrast to hallowing God's name. All right, let's, anybody familiar with the story of the Tower of Babel? It's one of the turning points in human history right here. All right, now the whole earth had one language and one speech. I'm sure they were all speaking English, weren't they? <laughs> Who knows? It's likely Hebrew. Who knows? I don't know. They had one language and one speech. Okay? And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. Okay, so now technology is increasing is what it's telling us. Okay. And they said, the people together said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. Uh-oh. Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city. How about that? Isn't that an interesting way to put it? God came down to see what was going on. What's happening around here? And to see the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. That's, that's, pretty, that's kind of an interesting statement right there. Come, let us go down. And there confused their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Now, on the negative side, we see the power of unity here. I mean, they, they were together, one language, one spot. As far as we know, maybe at this time the earth may be even been one landmass as far as we know or close to it. But then God scattered them and notice the idea he scattered them across. Why did he scatter and confuse the language? In fact, I, I always think about the Tower of Bible every time I travel. When, when I travel overseas, you, you think you go and meet people and you, you're like, man, I hate the Tower of Bible. I can't even get my luggage, <laughs> you know, because of that kind of idea. But, but why, did, why did God do that? Okay, now in context of what we're talking about, hallowed be your name, God. Did you see anything in particular about a name in, in, when we were reading through that? They were building something to make a name for themselves. So God doesn't come down as the big killjoy. God comes down as the wise father and says, uh-uh, this, this can't happen. This is not what humanity is about, building a name for themselves. Humanity is about building up the name of our, their father. And so God intervened and said, no, 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 we, we can't do that. We can't do that. All right, so that's in contrast. So I would, I would dare say, if we put these, these two ideas of what Jesus teaches us about the name of our Father and hallowing his name and what this Bible story is teaching us, I think it would be pretty easy to deduct that you and I are either in the business of building up God's name or we're in the business, business of building up our own name. You know what I'm talking about? So we've got to be very careful. All right. Just a little thought. Now, now, let's go back to this passage here in Ezekiel 36. It's the idea, same idea again. Okay, now listen to what he says. Let's see if we've got time to read there. We've got a few more minutes. This is a prophecy by Ezekiel now. It's, it's kind of rough and it's got some hope at the end of it. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, 
I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. Oh, my gosh. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. There's that word again, isn't it? For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you into your own land. And then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will, so that's how they, they profane the name. You see, catch that? They profane the name by getting involved in the other nation's religion and their idols. Okay? I will give you a new, this is part, you probably heard this part. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Another, I'm going to take your hard heart and I'm going to make it tender. I'm going to give you a heart transplant. One of the analogies kind of similar to being born again, right? Becoming a new creation. That's what's happening right here in this passage. I will put my, that's why Jesus, because the passage is like this, that's why Jesus would talk about being born again. And he would look at Nicodemus and say, you're a teacher in Israel and you don't understand this. It's right there. You see what I'm talking about? Because being born again is not a new idea. It's a, it's a God idea that Jesus brought to pass. All right. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees, the increase of your fields, so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. So in other words, prosperity is coming. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that, you were, not, that were not good. And you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. So why does God say he's cleaning up Israel's act? For their sake? Well, they're going to gain some benefit from it. But why is he really doing it? For his own name's sake. For his own name's sake. So why did he really save you? Well, because he loves you. But he's got something he wants to show the world about himself and about his name and about who he really is. So he takes Pat's testimony. He takes Dave's testimony. And he brings it all together and says, I want to reveal a little bit of who I am through her. I want to reveal a little bit something maybe different of how I'm going to save him. And I'm going to do this because I want the whole world to know that the Pats of the world and the Daves of the world, I can save them. I can bring them together. I'm going to do it for my namesake. All right? All right. All right. Now, Jesus... I think I have time to read all this, but throughout the Gospels, Jesus hallows and cherishes the name of God. He wants people to know. Now, this John 14, if you could take a note, just write this down. We're not going to read all of it. John 14, 6 through 11. Remember, that's the passage that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. I, I, I think he's, he's not just talking about that he is the path. He, Jesus is the only one that has the right idea about the Father. That's why he says, I'm the way, and I, I've got the truth about who the Father really is. I'm the way to him. I've got the truth about him, and I'm, I am the life, and you can't even get to the Father. You can't understand him. You can't follow him. You can't know him unless you know it from me. You come through me, Jesus says. You see? That's why we're so adamant about knowing Jesus. 
It's not that we're trying to put down other religions and other ideas and all those kind of things. We want to be very respectful about those things, actually. We don't have to agree, but we need to be respectful. But we're adamant about Jesus because there's a conviction in our soul that Jesus is the only one that knows who God really is. And he tells, remember, remember the idea Philip asked, he said, we don't know the way, which way we're going, we don't, what, what, we don't know nothing about this. And Jesus says this, what he said, uh, if you had known me, you would have known my father. Uh, and he said, show us the father, right? And Jesus said, I, have I been so long with you and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. You've seen God. So how could you say, show us the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. All right? All right, we, we, we got to go. Now, so this, this hallowed be thy name. It's about God's reputation in the earth. Okay, now here, here's a scary thought. Scary thought. The spreading of God's good reputation has in some degree, to a large degree actually, been put into our hands. Somebody say, oh me, or whatever. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, this is God's plan actually. So that's why he chose Israel in the first place. So, that, that, people, so that, that all the world would know, not just that Israel would know, but that somehow or another they would be the light of the world and show the whole world who God really is. Okay? God's still got a wonderful plan for Israel. But us as believers now, followers of Jesus... This task has been given to us, and it's a frightening thought, isn't it? It really is a frightening thought, especially when I look over my history. I, I, you know, I've had seasons I've done really good with that. I've had other seasons where we don't want to talk about it. I hadn't done so good with that kind of idea. It's a frightening thought, but it's also an empowering thought. That God's reputation is in our hands. Jesus says it like this. Matthew 5, 16, it says, Let your light, or in other words, he said, You are the light of the world first, right? So let your light shine before people that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now the idea of glorify is kind of like the idea of hallowed. Hallowed be thy name. It's so they can see God for who he really is. So now get this. We are the light of the world. Light is best serves its purpose where? In darkness, right? We are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that doesn't need to be hid. Now don't put it under a bushel or a basket. Don't cover up the light. Let it shine. And when people see our light shining, they will see our good works. What are, the, what are those works? What are these people going to see that, that says, well, something different about Gala. There's something different about Miss Linda. What are they going to see? Well, there's going to be some good. Remember, I don't have time. Help me. Sunday we talked about good as God's word, right? Good, the word good, the idea of good belongs to God. So something is like God's goodness is going to be flowing through our lives and they will see the invisible God through our visible, tangible works. Hallowed be thy name. Somehow or another it's going to come through us. That they will see our good works. Think about that now. That's a pretty big responsibility, isn't it? It's just, you just kind of hit, feel that, poof, and just kind of hits you like that. It's kind of, okay, here we go. But that, that is one of our privileges and responsibilities to show the world. So they're going to see something coming out of us. There's going to be love coming out of us that's, that's not characteristic of anything else in the world. There's going to be goodness and kindness, gentleness, patience. All lots of patience, right? 
coming out of us. We don't handle things the same way the world does. They're going to see something that's different, contrasting our world, and they're going to say, you know what, there's something different about you. And they're not going to praise Shelly. They're going to praise God for it. And Shelly's going to help them do that, right? This, this is not just about me. This is about you seeing who God really is. Now, I personally believe that some of those good works are, are well, Jesus talks about them. How you handle the poor. How you handle people that are hungry. People that need, have, have very tangible needs in their lives. Okay? Those are some of the good works, right? But they're not just relegated to those kind of things. Those, those are all wonderful things. We need to do those things, for sure. But also there's going to be healing flowing out of your words. Healing of hearts. Healing of inner wounds in people's lives where you're speaking encouragement and life and healing into them through, through God's word. There's going to be times where God uses you and I to lay hands on the sick and boom, they get healed. You know, we need more of that. My goodness, I, I, I've never been in a community that I've heard so much sickness flying around. I'm, I'm not I'm disparaging. I'm just I'm saying I'm for real. There's a lot of sickness. Paul addressed that earlier. There's a lot of sickness in our community. Well, there needs some light to come into that idea. And if Jesus is the one that's showing us who the Father really is, does the Father heal? Well, what did Jesus do? He healed, didn't he? Isn't it something that Jesus tells? <laughs> I, I, I've struggled with this all of my life in ministry. And I've prayed for people and I've seen them healed. I've prayed for people and they're still sick. But we want to see more of that. We want to see more healing flowing out of us. We believe that's part of the good works of God. Amen. And, and we want to be able to lay hands on, the, on people and pray the prayer of faith. And not just, not just, you know, Hail Mary one, throw one up in the sky and hope somebody hears it. I'm talking about pray the prayer of faith and believe some good's going to come out of it. You know? Jesus says this. This is what we're getting to. Jesus says, you, when you go heal the sick. I'm like, what? That's what he told his disciples. You go heal the sick. Well, wait, I can't heal nobody. But that still don't matter. You go heal them. I'm like, okay, how do you do that? Well, listen to me. I'll show you. I didn't have time to keep going in John 14. But Jesus says, the works that I do, you'll do. Because I'm going to go to my Father. And even greater works that I did, you're going to do. Just talking about all of his disciples. That's some serious stuff now. I hadn't seen a scotia that. I want to see more of that. Amen. I hope God's got enough run out of me now that I'm, I'm, I'm 50 now, almost 50. I'm hoping I can get, get there now. You know, I sowed all my wild oats, got all my nonsense gone. I, well, not all of it. <laughs> Sandy's working on the other part of my nonsense. All right. All right. <laughs> Yes, that is true. All right? So we're in charge of this idea of hallowing his name. So the prayer is, hallowed be thy name. That's the part we're, we're focusing on. Hallowed be thy name. May people love and cherish your name, and may they know who you really are. And isn't that interesting that that is the very first part of the prayer? That's the very first petition. It's concerning God's name. All right? All right, we're, we're, we're done. Any, any questions, comments before we close out? Any questions, comments? Buddy? Well, hey, Miss Aaron. <laughs> you good? All right, let's read this in closing. Let's read it again together. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.